Good morning, Incarnation. Um, actually, why don't we pray for just a second? Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that you choose to graciously reveal yourself to us. Even when we don't seek you, you are always there ready to reveal yourself. So I ask this morning we would encounter you, um, that you would be present, and that our hearts would be tuned to hear your voice. In your name we pray, amen. So my name is Russell Vick. I am the curate for this church, and we are in the second Sunday of Epiphany, the feast which acknowledges the incredible amazing fact that the creator of the universe has chosen to appear among us and reveal himself through the person Jesus Christ. Epiphany reminds us of who God really is. God is not an absent God who created the world and just let it run its course, nor is God some distant spiritual being calling us to live an abstract spiritual life with a little religious symbolism thrown in. Rather, Epiphany reminds us that the God we worship is a God who deeply cares about this world. As David, our assisting priest, preached last week, we see that God has revealed himself to be a good king, a king who willingly chose to enter the messiness and brokenness of creation so that it can be renewed and restored to its intended purpose. Epiphany reminds us of God's past action of appearing through Jesus and the future hope of God's ultimate appearance when Jesus will come back again. But Epiphany doesn't just remind us of God's past and future acts of revelation. It also reminds, of, reminds us of God's continuous and present act of revelation. Meaning that right now, in this very moment, God is working to restore that which is broken in this world. The gospel is the story of God's work of salvation, not just in the past and in the future, but the work that he is doing right now in the present. And Epiphany reminds us of this. And in both our Old Testament and gospel readings, we see one of the ways that God chooses to do this work and he does it in a way that has real and meaningful implications for each and every one of us. So if you have a Bible or if you have a you know, smartphone handy, you can turn to 1 Samuel 3 and then maybe have your finger in 1 John 1 of our gospel reading. So 1 Samuel 3, starting from verse 1, and then John 1, verses 42. So I'm going to be flipping back and forth. So... But starting in 1 Samuel. Now at this time in the nation's history, Israel had no king. And throughout the hundreds of years that the Israelites had been living in the promised land, their faith wavered and at times almost seemed non-existent. Israel wasn't following the law which had been given to Moses. And instead of participating in God's work of restoration and being a blessing to the world, they became just like the surrounding nations and joined them in doing horrible, horrific things, often to the most vulnerable within their society, particularly women and children. And you can see this particularly in the book of Judges, which describes Israel's history from the death of Joshua up till now. Israel had failed to do the work which God had given them to do, 
and their ears were no longer attuned to listen to the voice of God. And as verse 1 in chapter 3 says, the voice of God had been absent in the land, and it seemed as if God had abandoned Israel. And amid all this national, theological, and moral upheaval, the story suddenly shifts from a national focus to a smaller, more personal focus. And the attention of the story is directed toward a woman named Hannah. For years, Hannah has been unable to bear her husband any children. And she cries out to the Lord and promises God that if he will bless her with a son, then she will return the blessing and give her son back to God. And after a long season of sorrowful waiting, the text says that God remembered Hannah and blesses her with the son whom she names Samuel. And Hannah remembers her promise and eventually brings the boy to live with Eli, the current high priest and leader of Israel. And so Samuel grows up in the household of Eli, and by nature of his proximity to Israel's high priest, he grows up ministering to the Lord. And late one night, Samuel is performing the duties within the tabernacle. Now, if you notice in the text, the the word that is used is temple, but this was before the time of Solomon, so scholars believe it refers to the tabernacle in Exodus or some other temporary outdoor structure similar to that described in Exodus. And according to the liturgical instructions given in the Torah, the light of the golden lampstand located in the holy place was perpetually lit, and it was Samuel's turn to do the night shift and tend to the holy flame. And so as you can imagine, doing the third night shift, third, you know, third shift, late at night, he is extremely tired. And so he's lying down in the holy place, which if I had a picture of the tabernacle, I would show you, or, or it had a slideshow or whatever, but it's a giant tent, and it's divided into, it's one giant tent, right? A tent is basically one giant room, and, but it's sort of divided in two by a veil. There's the holy place where the golden lampstand was, and then there's the holiest of holies um, where the Ark of the Covenant and where God's tangible presence was throughout the Exodus narrative and up to this point. So he's not quite right next to the Ark of the Covenant, but he's in basically the same room, but divided by a veil. He's, tending, he's in the holy place, not the holiest of holies, um, tending, the, tending the flame. And all of a sudden, in this holy place, during a time when the nation could not hear God, Samuel hears a voice calling him by name. And at first he mistakes it for just being Eli. And he wakes him up three different times. But Eli, trained as a priest in the ways of God, recognizes the one calling Samuel. And he encourages him to respond to that divine call. And so that's what Samuel does. And after hearing God call him by name once again, he chooses to respond to the divine word being spoken to him. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And by responding to God's voice, Samuel joins God in God's work, calling Israel to repentance and proclaiming God's judgment, justice, and mercy to the people, especially to the religious leaders, Eli and his sons, who really haven't done a good job representing God to the people. And Samuel's life is never the same. 
and the people come to recognize him as someone who not only hears God, but is heard by God. One who converses with God as a friend. God reveals himself to Samuel so that Samuel may reveal God to Israel. And he becomes known as someone whose words do not fall to the ground in thought, word, or deed, because those words are ultimately God's words and not his own. As someone who is training to be a pastor and a preacher, um, the story of Samuel has captivated my own imagination for a long time. And I know that for many people, discerning full-time ministry, this story is always particularly meaningful to them. It's a story we often designate to the realm of vocational discernment, particularly for people who aspire to be pastors or missionaries or do some sort of spiritual ministry type work. But this story is not just for people who are thinking about working in churches or going to the mission field or doing some sort of spiritual work. This is a story for all of us and the way that God is calling all people to join him in his work of revelation and restoration and salvation. And we particularly see this in our gospel reading. So now if you're in, you can flip to John 1 or scroll there on your smartphone. We see this in our gospel reading when Jesus calls both Philip and Nathaniel to follow him. Jesus calls Philip to follow him and Philip, having just been invited by Jesus to join him in his ministry, goes out and points Nathaniel to Jesus. And Nathaniel doesn't believe him at first, right? He's like, wait, this guy from Podunk Nazareth? Like, what go comes from there? But then he has his own personal encounter with Jesus and sees the way that Jesus intimately knows him. And just look at the way that Jesus speaks to him. Hey, Nathaniel. You may not know me, but I know you. I know your heart. Your desires are known to me. None of your secrets are hid from me. I know you to be a faithful Israelite who has been seeking the will of God, my Father. I saw you under the fig tree, and if you follow me, you will see God work in ways that you never could have imagined. And just like God's call to Samuel, Jesus' call to Nathanael is an invitation. An invitation to participate in the work of God's salvation. To be a co-laborer with God and to point other people to God that they may also receive divine grace. As I said earlier, the gospel is the story of God's past, present, and future work of salvation. In an epiphany, we are reminded of God's personal invitation to each and every one of us to join him in the work that he is doing. And if it isn't already clear, I will make it even more explicit and say that this work is so much bigger than what pastors and missionaries do. This is work that God invites every single person to do. And part of our responsibility as people who follow Jesus, is to increase our divine imagination to see the ways that God is calling us to go out and participate in the work he is calling each and every single one of us to do. Work that I can't even do, but he's calling you uniquely as a person in the particular context he has placed each and every single one of you in. 
And if you want a tangible example of someone who was a good co-laborer with God, then you could look no further than Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, whose day we are gonna be celebrating tomorrow. His eye was filled with the revelation of God and he labored with God to do justice, love mercy, and call our nation to repentance. He is a good witness to us of what it looks like to work alongside in the work of restoring this broken world. The spiritual work of the gospel becomes manifest in our lives when we respond to God's call, which is ultimately the call of Jesus to follow him. And you noticed I used the air quotes in spiritual work because we use that so often to refer to people who work in churches or missionaries, but that's a false designation, right? Like, spiritual work becomes spiritual insofar that we find Jesus in the places where he has called us to be. Whether it's being a teacher, a doctor, a plumber, a warehouse worker, it becomes spiritual when we see Jesus. And so as we continue in this season of epiphany, I invite you to consider the ways that Jesus is inviting you to labor alongside him in the work of restoration in your particular context. And also, that you would be reminded of the goodness and grace of our creator who heals our brokenness and dignifies our humanity by inviting us to participate in the gospel's work. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your goodness and grace to us. Thank you that you have called each of us by name. In this season of Epiphany, we pray that you would continue to open our eyes to your glory and empower us by your spirit to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. Thank you for dignifying each and every one of us and calling us to be co-laborers with you in the work of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.